Welcome to the Grace City Tampa podcast. My name is Alex Damari. Me and my wife, Brianna, are the lead pastors. Our vision is to lead people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that today's podcast will build you up, lift your faith, and encourage you in the journey. Here's the message. So like I said, we are in the last week of this sermon series, and I'm actually um, a little bit sad, if I'm going to be honest, because this last week I went through four different topics. I've I usually plan out my sermons months in advance of what I'm going to speak and kind of the the scriptures we're going to go off of. And this last week, I kept jumping between the topics because I had so much that I wanted to talk about with the rest of this sermon series. So get ready for the church we build part two coming later this year, okay? Because I believe we have a lot more to do and a lot more to accomplish. But to choose between these four different topics was really hard for me. Um, And I actually didn't get to writing my message until yesterday morning. Because I kept jumping around, God, what do you want to say? How do you want to use this time that we have as a church in the early stages? As a baby church, what is the thing that we can speak that can hold the most weight to empower us to be all that we were meant to be? And I believe today that the most important thing that I can talk about as we finish this series is unity. Unity. Turn to the person next to you and say, unity. Unity. It's kind of a scary word. Unity. So I want to read our series scripture, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. I read it the first week we gathered together on this sermon series. And I want to read it again and maybe bring some new things to light today. And then I also want to read Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. They're going to be up on the screens behind me. Are you ready to lean in today? You ready for the word today? You ready for God to speak into your life? You ready to receive something and be changed from the inside out? Are you ready for that? He's got that for you. Man, I just think if we grab this word today, if we really lean into the idea of unity, that God's going to do something pretty incredible with our church. So let's do it. Chapter 2, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's holy people and also members of his household built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. There's so much in that, so much depth, so much for us to learn and to grow from. You know, something that's so random that stood out to me and I couldn't avoid it. And that's why I changed my message yesterday. It was the first time that I've written my message on a Saturday, Bobby. Usually I'm like Monday, Tuesday. I'm like, let's get that thing out of the way because I don't want to have to think about what am I going to preach. But I couldn't get this out of my head and I had to come back to it. But every word that's listed here is a plural word. You are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens God's holy people, a plural people, and also members, plural, of his household, built on the foundation of apostles, plural, and prophets, plural, with Christ Jesus himself, singular, as the chief cornerstone. Man, I just got this picture of, of that's what our church is, is it's us. The beauty of the church that we are building is us. It's plural. 
It's every single one of us. And it doesn't even just say an apostle or a prophet. It says apostles and prophets. All being supported by Jesus, our chief cornerstone. We'll get into more of that later, but Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, that's encouraging this morning. Come on, you woke up this morning, drank your coffee, and you're like, "Mm, I'm about to be a prisoner. (laughs) Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Everybody say urge. Urge. Love that word. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of it all, who is over all and through all and in all. The title of my message is really simple today, Unified. The church we build is unified. Let's pray. Lord, right now, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the things that come alive to us. We thank you for the inspiration of your word. That We carry this belief and faith in you, and yet we can open your word and be inspired to grow, to get better. Lord, I speak conviction in our hearts today as we hear these words, maybe words we've heard a hundred times. For the people who have grown up in church and been in church their whole lives, I pray these words will feel so fresh and relevant. For the people who are here for the first time, I pray, Lord, that this would be enlightening. So anoint my words to speak, anoint ears to hear it, and hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, unified. Turn to the other person and say, unified. How many of you, by a show of hands, have ever been in a relationship? Cool. That's a lot of you. How many of you have ever been in a relationship at large, maybe a friendship or a a marriage or with your parents? Show me your hands real quick. I hope it's everybody in this room. Otherwise, we can talk. I'm, I'm going to be up for after service. We're going to have a, a conversation. How many of you would say this? Last time I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, I promise. How many of you would say that in your relationship you've had dis- disagreements before? Come on, most hands in here. That's actually okay. Wouldn't you agree? See, I think that's real, real life. That's the reality of relationships. And if you had a relationship that worked and you didn't have, have a disagreement, I would say you weren't human. Or your relationship is so thin that it's not going to last. Right? Because disagreements are this great thing that actually enable us to become stronger and to find unity. It's, It's, you know, over the last almost nine years of marriage, I've experienced this time and time again. Can I tell you, Brianna and I are both middle children. We would say that we are fiery people. And so weekly, sometimes daily, we will have small disagreements about things. But you know what happens after our disagreements? We agree on something, and we get better together. Isn't that a great thing? And we move forward with something united together. It's actually a beautiful thing. See, I believe that disagreements can go one of two ways. It can either go towards building, or it can go towards destruction. 
It can either go towards building something and making it better, or it can go towards destruction. I'm sure we've all had disagreements that have led to destruction before. Friendships we've lost, relationships we've lost, family members we're not connected with anymore. Those disagreements have led to destruction. But yet, sometimes and most of the time, if it's a healthy relationship, these disagreements can lead to unity and building. A couple funny examples I have for you is, uh, you know, when Brianna and I first got married, when we were going through our pre-marriage class, we talked about how many years we wanted to wait to have kids. And we both said we wanted to wait seven years to have our first kid. Uh, our oldest is six now. We've been married for about almost nine years. So do the math. We didn't wait. It was about three months after we got married. We went on our honeymoon to Maui. It was so magical. We're like, we just got to keep traveling. We got to see the world, all the things. Three months in, Brianna goes, hey, um, let's start talking about kids. Uh, no. Let's buy you a dog or something, you know. And, uh, and then it was about a year later, we did a big trip to Europe, about three weeks. And we, you know, did this traveling we dreamed of. And she goes, travel cup full. When we got back from the trip, she goes, I'm ready to have kids. I'm like, seven years, babe, seven years. I wanted to see the world, and yet she was ready. And it was about a year later that we had our very first son, Emerson Phoenix, and we're so grateful that we have him. But I was stuck at two kids, and she was stuck at three to four. We have four kids, so she won. <laughs> the disagreement, you got it, babe. And uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. We had our third kid, which was a girl, it was a miracle. She comes out. And I was so happy, and I felt complete. I was done. And then all of a sudden, uh, Brianna leans over to me a minute after this baby pops out, <laughs> covered in all its nastiness. There's this baby, and she leans over me. She goes, we're not done yet. <laughs> so it was about two years later that we gave birth to Cecilia. Could you put the picture of our family up real fast just so everybody can see our family? Our family would not be complete without the two boys, two girls. You know what I'm saying? It's just amazing. Everybody has a buddy at Disney World. It's phenomenal. Uh, but that disagreement ended up becoming something amazing. And I told Brianna when she's like, yeah, I want to have four kids. I go, well, we're going to have to get a minivan. And she goes, no way. And I go, babe, I'm not about to carry three kids in my arms with groceries and figure out how to open a door. Like, I got to have auto doors. You know what I mean? And so put the picture up. There it is, guys. That's our party bus. Mom and dad rolling in a party bus. That's our whip. And uh, you can take the picture down now, all right? If you ever see that in the parking lot, that's our life. I won that disagreement. Not that I'm very proud of that party bus, but uh, we got that. You know, when we got married, too, I remember, Brianna, there were so many things I wanted to get at the store when we first went grocery shopping. I was putting all this junk food in our house. This is like what I, I'm like, my college days this is what I used to live off of. Give me the pizza rolls, you know? And then she goes, no, we're actually not going to do that in our house. Like, we're going to buy organic stuff. I was like, no, organic's just, it's like, it's a lie. Like, organic's not a real thing, you know? <laughs> Anyways, all that to say, we actually live a healthier lifestyle now. Uh, there's so many things that we, we disagreed on it, yet Brianna said, no, we need to do it this way. And I agreed with her, and I submitted to her ideas, and it actually has brought health to our family and to our relationships. See, those examples are so silly, but they still show the power of when two people have different views, and when they unite on a decision... It can be life-changing and potentially world-changing. See, with your friends, with your love life, with your family, your coworkers, bosses, and even at church, we will all come with differing opinions. We all come with our own expectations of what, how it should be happening or how it should pan out. 
But in every one of these areas, someone has to defer. Someone has to be the one who submits to the other views or vision. And this takes a lot of work, and it takes time, and it takes humility. Amen? See, as the church that we are building, the great church of Jesus Christ, this is the reality more often than not. We all come in with our own opinions of how church should look. We all come in with our own vision. We come in with our own ideas of how the processes should lay out, the ministries that should happen. We all come into church with our past experiences as our goggles of what our experience should be here. And that's not a bad thing. Can we say that together? Because if we can figure out under one vision how to harness your vision, how to release you to use your God-given vision and your sphere of influence, you can make a serious difference. We don't want to create robots. We want to create living, moving beings who are able to follow and walk in their God-given assignment. But can I tell you that unity has everything to do with this? And I believe that when two or more people follow one vision, one mission, one set of values, and one set of beliefs, that there is unity, whether good or bad. When people all submit to one thing, there's unity. We'll talk about that in a little bit, too. So I want to explain this scripture just a little bit. I want to help us to see just a little bit more into what's happening here in Ephesians 4. See, as Paul is writing to the Ephesians, he's using some very intentional key words. See, Paul actually founded the Ephesian church. And at this time of writing these scriptures, the church is well-established, growing, and it was actually working. So get this. He's writing. He's actually in prison writing the book of Ephesians, and it's working. Things are happening. The gospel is moving forward. People are getting saved, healing, salvations. All these things are happening, and he writes this letter. See, just because it's working doesn't mean you, shouldn't, you should stop becoming. It doesn't mean you should stop leaning in. It doesn't mean you should just stay there. We have to keep growing. We have to keep working. Amen? So we see this theme, though, through Ephesians. It's actually pretty beautiful. In Ephesians, Paul doesn't really rebuke the church like he would have in the Corinthians. When he wrote the book of Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, you can see rebuke after rebuke. This is how you're to love. These are all the things you're supposed to do. You're not doing this, so do this. But in the Ephesians, he's actually encouraging them. This is the way to live. Why? Because they're actually not in a place where they need to be rebuked to these things. They were a couple years into the development of this church. So instead of having to rebuke the Ephesian church of their disunity in the faith, he's actually giving them vision how to become unified. Do you see this today? Don't you wish someone had vision for you before you had to make the mistake? I wish in my life, in every area of my life, I could say that thing. Because I'm a firm believer in the fact that you're either going to learn from your own mistakes or you're going to learn from the mistakes of others. This is kind of the reality of, of life. And so, you know, the times when we get to learn from the mistakes of others, it's actually such a beautiful thing. And when we actually apply that to our life, because we never have to walk down that detour path to figure that thing out. This is what Paul is doing. So I want to talk through this scripture just a little bit more. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, it says, first of all, as prisoners of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The Greek word for urge here is actually perikleo, which simply means to invite. It means to invite. So Paul is saying, I want to invite you. He's not saying, hey, you're not living a life worthy of the call, so you need to do it. He's saying, I want to invite you. 
Come follow me as I follow Christ. I want to invite you in the journey of living a life worthy of the call. So we see this, this theme wrapping throughout Ephesians. He's inviting them to the next stage of their development. Verse 2, be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. This list of words are the enablers or the roadmap to live in unity. Imagine if we all approached every relationship in our life completely humble, gentle, patient, and bearing with one another in love. So verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So unity right here, the Greek word for that is henotes, which means the state of oneness. State of oneness. So make every effort to achieve the state of oneness. He's, he's inviting them into the journey. He's saying, you got to take all the steps necessary. You got to live a life worthy of this thing. You got to make decisions to be humble. You got to make decisions to love regardless of wrongdoing so that you can achieve this state of oneness as the body of Christ. So picture with me this building of this great church. Picture with me what he's saying in this. And I want to use this as an example. I spent some time in construction after I graduated high school. I was getting ready to go to college, and I got a job that made $10 an hour. That was a big deal back in the day in Washington State when $10 an hour is the minimum wage and I made $10 an hour, and I was doing all these construction projects. I did everything from roofing buildings to putting in uh, new doors to doing new windows, and I got to learn a lot of really cool things. And every day it seemed different, and one day I walked up to the job site, and I walked inside, and there was this, this uh, layout of where a brick wall was supposed to be, and they had just torn it down. The first thing they did is remove, they told me to remove all the bricks, so I brought them all outside. And then he goes, now bring in all the bricks. And one by one, I would stack them on this little cart, and I'd walk them inside on this little cart, and I'd drop them in and stack them. And as I was stacking them, this guy would take his, you know, take his stuff, and he would begin to build himself a foundation with these bricks to be able to build the rest of the wall. And then as I came in, I brought all the bricks inside. He taught me how to take the mortar. He taught me how to smear it on the bottom. And there was this great foundation laid out already, so all I had to do was follow what was already laid before me. And I came in, and I would put the mortar on the bottom and on the side of the brick, and I'd come in, and I would settle it down, and I would allow it to rest there, and I would move on. And as I was going, I was building, I was scraping off the excess mortar that would be there, and I would build this wall. Are you visualizing this with me? Yeah. See, the brick wall was actually made up of all these small bricks joined together by this mortar, then stacked on one another to create a wall. And I really believe this is the picture we get in Ephesians 2, when it says we are being built together, become a dwelling which Christ lives by the Spirit. We are being stacked upon one another. The apostles and prophets before us with Christ Jesus as a cornerstone, we are being stacked and built together and joined together. And see, when you bond the bricks together, they then become one wall. Are you with me, church? When you bond these together with mortar, they become one wall. See, if I were to stack these bricks without mortar, I could simply, with one hand, push over an entire wall because it would have no stability. They wouldn't be connected to each other. There wouldn't be the thing bonding them together. But instead, they are, when we unite them together, they become one wall. 
And that's the power of the scripture in Ephesians 4. It gives us the key to living in unity. With all of our differences, it says, keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So what's the bond? Isaiah 9, 6 says, Jesus is our prince of peace, meaning he's the ruler of peace. In Colossians 3.15, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. So when we bond ourselves together with Jesus, he's not just the chief cornerstone, he is the bond between us. He is the thing uniting us. In him, in him we find our peace that joins us together. It enables us to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. See, this unity carries us. This unity helps us to stand and fight against the work of the enemy. And it helps us to stand up in the hardest storms. When you're falling, you're supported. When you're failing, you're surrounded. When you're fearful, you're sustained. Because it's Jesus that's holding us all together. And it's his peace that keeps us united against it all. Amen? Amen. But so often, we live, live our lives attempting to do it in our own strength and on our own ability. And so often, we come into a place like this, and we're not willing to fully unite under one vision. And Maybe we don't bond ourselves together. And when the storms of life come, we just fall apart. The church crumbles. We leave gaps. And that's what I would encourage us today is we have to seal up the gaps we have to be united in Jesus. So then we go on to verse 4, 5, and 6. I know I'm taking a while to describe this scripture, but I hope it's coming alive to you. Is it coming alive to you, church? It says this, there is one body and one spirit. So do you see this with me? The things that were once separated, the individual people, now coming together to make one. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over it all and through it all and in all. We are one. Our unity solidifies our faith and enables us to build the church that Jesus has called us to build. Let me say it again. Our unity solidifies our faith and enables us to build the church that Jesus Christ has called us to build. Unity helps us to do the impossible. You know, there's a scripture in, in Genesis it's in Genesis 11, 1 through 9, and I want to read it to you. And it's this story we've probably all heard if you've been around church at all. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. And it says this, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone, tar for mortar, and then they said, come let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower of people that they were building, and the Lord said, as if one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they do not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and stopped the building. That is why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From, from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole 
earth. So we get this picture. Did you get the picture of the tower where they came together under one language, one vision, one idea, one mission, and they begin to build this tower? And I love what God says here. He says that nothing will be impossible for them. They were so united in vision that they could have achieved anything is what God said. But see this, the Lord causes disunity between them because their intentions were self-seeking and selfish. Their intentions were self-seeking and selfish. They weren't unified by the bond of Jesus Christ. They were developing their own thing for their own self. So imagine with me today, church. Imagine with me if with one language, with one heart, with one calling, with one mission, if a group of people decided we are going to build a church that makes a difference in this city, we are going to build a church that saves lives. Can I tell you, because of the unified spirit of the people of God, when we aren't doing it self-seeking, we're doing it gospel-seeking. When we aren't doing it self-fulfilling, we're doing it gospel-fulfilling. God will say that there is nothing impossible for us. So the dreams, as long as they're godly dreams, they're to glorify his name, to further the gospel across the earth. Nothing will be impossible. Godly unity is the binder that builds the church to become all that God has called us to do. It isn't self-seeking. It isn't self-promoting. When I first became a youth pastor in 2011, I remember coming and gathering my youth leaders to do a vision night with all of them. Now, I was 21 years old. I had no idea what I was doing in ministry, but we were going to have a go, and I was dreaming really, really big. I'm always a visionary, so if you're around me at all, you'll know I'm a visionary. We're just going to blow the lid off this thing always. I don't believe in lids. You know what I'm saying? No ceilings here at Grace City, Tampa. So um, I gather all these leaders. Now, at the time when I inherited this youth ministry, there was about 35 kids that were a part of the youth ministry, and there was actually 70 adult leaders. So all of these adult leaders gathered together in my parents' backyard, poor, poor college student, uh, living with his parents. I gathered them all in my backyard, 70 people, and I began to spill the vision. Here's what I feel like God has called us to do. I gave them a mission statement, a vision statement. I gave them some values. I called everybody up. Here's, here's how we're going to operate. Here's how the church is going to be built. I'm a big person of understanding the, the processes and the procedures, and I want to make sure everybody has an idea and a written um, you know, statement of the expectations on them. So I'm spilling all this. And after that meeting, there was all this disunity that started to be created behind my back. Leaders started gossiping behind my back, started talking bad about me. I said things that were different from the lens of what they had come in with. Maybe it wasn't the church that they had helped build. Maybe it wasn't the ministry that they had been developing. So then all of a sudden, they're all causing disunity behind my back, speaking lies about me. And I'm 21 years old. I'm, we took a break for the summer to, you know, re-gear up to go for the fall. And I'm, like, lost. I have no idea what to do. I had, I, didn't, I had never even preached a message up to this point in my life. And I'm about to become a youth pastor. And all of my leaders that are supposed to be with me are against me. I went on a small trip for a friend's wedding and met with three different pastors. And every single one of them told me, uh, you got to cut out the disease. Really intense, right? So I went back, and I, I called an emergency meeting with all these people, and I said, hey, 
Um, if you're not for the vision that God has put on this place, if you, if you aren't for this, or if you've gossiped, if you've slandered, if you've lied, uh, I want to ask you uh, if you're not able to get over those things to leave now. 50 people got up and walked out the door. There I am, like, losing my mind. Uh, I just, I was left with only 20 people attempting to go into our youth ministry in the next month, praying and believing that God would do anything. Can I tell you, over the four and a half years that I was a youth pastor, we saw over 500 salvations in our youth ministry. We, it was absolutely incredible. Within that year, we reached 100 kids. We were discipling young kids. Each of them were in an RDG is what we called it, Radical Discipleship Group. And we got these people together and we trained them up in the ways of the Lord. The unity of even 20 of us changed lives through that city. See, there's this disease that happens when we're attempting to build something together. There's this separation that takes place and I believe that all the different random things that come against to try to tear apart unity all boil down to one word, and that word is pride. It all comes down to pride. I'm not going to read these scriptures, but I want to list them, and you can reference them if you want to. Genesis 3.5, with the fall of man. 1 Timothy 3.6, giving direction to the overseers of God's people. And 1 John 2, 15 through 17, the pride of life. See, all of those lead to the conclusion that all sin starts with pride. It's putting yourself in front of God. It's what removed Satan from his place in heaven to what he is now, which our ad is, our, is our adversary. Lucifer became so impressed with his own beauty, intelligence, power, and position that he began to desire for himself the honor and glory that belonged to God. This pride represents the actual beginning of sin in the universe, followed next by Adam and Eve. The beginning of sin started with pride. I want to read these scriptures, a couple key scriptures. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. James 4, 6 says this, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. See, pride ultimately brings disunity and causes us to fail in our mission. This pride of thinking that we are it. And it, it leads to a multitude of other things, but I want to list these three things because I think they're important for us in protecting our culture as a church. The three things would be this that pride creates is gossip, lies, and discouragement. This pride creates those things, whether it's thinking you know better and so you want to you say that to somebody else, whether it's tearing someone down to make yourself feel better, pride, whether it's lies because it makes someone else look worse so it makes you feel better, or discouragement because that feeling of discouragement, putting them below you so that you can feel better, pride. All of these things are coming in and robbing this bond between us and causing disunity to where we will fail. These things are core to the destruction of building God's house. They are a disease that has to be eradicated. I'll read these scriptures real fast to you because I want you to see this in scripture. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Do you see this together? Proverbs 15, 4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. 
First Peter 3, 10 through 11. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and, and pursue it. The bond between us, we must seek this peace. Let me make it very clear. This isn't a rebuke. This is an invitation. There is not any of this happening in our church. Can we praise God for the fact of the unity that we already have in our baby church? I haven't once ran into someone who has gossiped about what's happening here. And I pray from this point on, we will be invited into the next level of the fact that Grace City Tampa will be a gossip-free environment. Grace City Tampa will speak truth because we believe that it leads us to life, as the scriptures say. And at Grace City Tampa, we will always encourage people to draw courage out of them. We will encourage. The church we build is unified. So Ephesians gives us this roadmap to this. How do we unify people? That's how you bring disunity. How do we unify? Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity through the spirit of the bond of peace. This is our roadmap. This is the way in which we achieve this. And I want to show another quick example to show this. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, we get this really amazing picture of unity and what it means when people come together. It says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of, the, either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Through, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. This is a quick example. But when we allow lies, deceit, discouragement, to infiltrate our thing we're building, it's easy for it to be broken. It's easy, even if you're on the inside, even if you're close, you're serving a lie. Gossip, lies, slander, it's easy. But when we unite, when we come together, it's not easily broken. We can't allow there to be gaps within this ministry, within the vision that God has called us to within the mission that God has called us to. We cannot allow there to be gaps or separation. We cannot allow this disunity to be a disease that tears us apart because we are bonding ourselves together with Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to invite the band up. As I conclude, I want to read Romans 15, 5 through 6. I know I've had a lot of scripture today, but I hope that it's come alive to you. It's been coming alive to me over the last day of God calling us to new levels of unity. And I just feel like the best thing we can do is come back to the word and allow it to infiltrate our hearts. It says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One voice, one mind. So our one voice and one mind, Grace City Tampa, is our vision. We're going to lead people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the church we build. Our one voice is our mission. To create environments where people are encouraged and inspired to draw closer to God. To connect others in meaningful and life-giving relationships. And to discover their gifts and use them for the betterment of others. This is our one mind and our one voice. Our values. 
We value truth, love, people, joy, generosity, authenticity, and growth. You should see that in and through every service that we have. We talk about every single one of it. Why? Because we value it. And we pray that you carry that same value through our beliefs, our culture we create, and the attitudes. This is the church we build. Amen? Amen. So this scripture, Ephesians 2, 19, we started it six weeks ago. And if you missed any of the messages, I would encourage you. It was a really amazing journey we've been on of what is this church? What's the fundamental meaning and how do we define this and how do we grow and how do we move forward and how do we build this church upon the legacy that's been built before us? In verse 21, Ephesians 2, it says, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling which God lives by his spirit. Would you stand to your feet? You know, at the end of Ephesians 4, 6, it says this, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. It's only because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. What does it say in those two verses? In him, the building is joined together. In him, we are being built together. In Jesus, it's all because of him. It's not because of what we can do. We aren't even worthy of it. We don't even deserve it. It's Jesus. It's the peace that he is. He is the one that builds his church. He is the one who holds it all together. It's all about Jesus. So I pray at the end of this six weeks that we've just journeyed through, that we would remember that we are a church about Jesus Christ. I love what Paul says. He preaches Christ crucified and Christ. That's what we do. It all comes down to Jesus. He's the one who unites us. He's the one who empowers us. He's the one that deserves all the worship. He is the faithful God that we can follow and be faithful after. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and bow your eyes. You know, there's two groups of people in here I want to ask a couple questions too. First of all, if you came in today and you heard me talking about unity, you even hear this idea that relationships are broken when they're done in a way of pursuing it by themselves and you realize that what you've been missing is Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to simply allow the Lord to come into your heart and make him the Lord of your heart. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three. It's going to be really simple. But you want to take a step out in this faith journey. You want to maybe give your life to Jesus or come back to him. This is your moment. The ingredient you've been missing in your life is Jesus. And he's right here and he's available. And it says it in the scripture that in him and through him and for him. So one. Know that God loves you so much. He gave his one and only son. And whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He loves you so much. He cares about you so much. Two, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. You don't need to wait any longer in this moment. This is your moment to return to the Lord. Three, if that's you, would you just wave? Would you just raise your hand and wave? 
Come on, can we celebrate the people raising their hand in this room? Come on, church. Come on, we believe. And we are excited about the fact that people are rededicating their life to Jesus. Two. I said I wouldn't ask you to raise your hands again, but I'm going to ask you one more time. Would everybody just raise their hands across this room? And Lord, right now, as we are being built into this great holy temple, as we are being built into your great church, I speak unity in the house. I pray, Lord, in every single way we will flee from pride and we will walk in humility. Lord, I pray that we will encourage and bring life. Lord, I pray that you will use us for your glory. Allow us to be a strong foundation for others to be built upon. Lord, I pray that someday we'll look back generations down and people will be able to look back and say, that foundation of that church that was holy, that was good, was something I was built upon and it happens because of the bond of peace of you, Jesus. So we give you the glory. We give you the honor. We give you the praise. And we ask you to have your way in and through this church in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's sing this song together. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Tampa podcast. Stay tuned for more weekly messages from our church.